Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. about politics do you love movies well you'll find a home here let's talk welcome to weekly wilson connie c wilson a small business owner writer and educator covers the gamut from film festival directors to the latest political debates of our time you can't pigeonhole connie wilson and she likes that just fine so please welcome the host of weekly wilson connie c wilson Good evening. This is Connie C. C. for Corcoran Wilson on Weekly Wilson, which is our Thursday night live podcast with uh, all of you able to call in should you have uh, comments or questions at 866 866- Four five one one four five one. Usually, we go between politics, movies, and books. And uh, when I say we, I generally have a guest. I do not have a guest tonight, and so it'll be just um, me, myself, and I. And uh, at the top of the hour here, I'd like to uh, make you aware of some of the guests I do have coming up, which is which uh, I had last week. The star of the uh, recent now streaming movie 100 Days to Live Heidi, unpronounceable last name (laughs) very nice gal from Mount Air, Iowa working out of Chicago kind of a cool streaming movie if you have nothing else to do Uh, really uh, remarkable for a director who was not a film major at all and is just a a CEO of a company in Chicago that wanted to make a movie Uh, and that would make him uh, the third guest I'll have like that. He'll be checking in with me on February 25th. Uh, His name, Ravine Gandhi, uh, of the film 100 Days to Live, which just began streaming, I believe, on the 2nd of February. And on the 4th of February, my my show last week, I thought I was going to be doing tonight's show where I would talk with you about the films I've just been uh, watching and reviewing at Sundance, which, of course, as all of you that are film buffs know, is is the big deal. Uh, that goes on in Utah every year that Robert Redford originally founded. And I had uh, religiously been watching movies uh, January 
29th, 30th, 31st, and it went on until the 3rd, and my show was the 4th. So I'd also had some discussions with a variety of publicists, and I had secured Heidi as a guest, I thought, tonight on the 11th, but Heidi called in last week. So you may have thought uh, that I didn't seem particularly on top of all the things I should have been because I had not yet uh, gone over my notes for Heidi, but we had a wonderful conversation about that film. I enjoyed it anyway. In fact, so much that I said I'd love to talk to the guy that made the film as a bucket list project. And so he's going to join me the very last show of the month, which is the 25th. And next week, I will be talking to another uh, first-time director, a fellow named Ryan Bliss. And he wrote he wrote and directed a film called Alice Fades Away. Now, all of these, you can uh, you can go out to your, your imdb.com and you can pull up the trailers. I liked both of these movies. They're both worth watching. Uh, I'm not saying they'll be nominated for Oscars, but the fact that these are the first feature-length films of two directors is it's pretty noteworthy. Um, in the past, I've had Ed, Ed DeZevolos, who did Lone Star Deception, and Jonathan Baker, another first-time director. So I jumped at the chance to have Ryan Bliss on the 18th and Ravine Gandhi on the 25th. So that's coming up after tonight. But tonight, it's just me talking about uh, the films I saw in a moment and also talking, uh, doing a little plug. I, I realized that I've done this show for almost a year, and I've never plugged anything I've written other than reviews on my weeklywilson.com blog site. But tonight I thought, you know, I should tell people that I have a book, the title of which is It Came from the 70s. And uh, the subtitle is From the Godfather to Apocalypse Now. And I actually hadn't been giving much thought to this book because it was written about 10 years ago. Uh, It's full of interesting stuff on the films between 1970 and 1979 when I was reviewing. So that's 50 years ago, folks. That's how long I've been doing this. And I, it came to my attention again because one of the publicists told me that he had ordered it up and read it and really enjoyed it, which, of course, you know, everybody loves to hear praise, whether it's sincere or not. There's a lot of pictures from the appropriate films. And as far as what they are, I mean, that was the best decade of, of movies ever. So uh, you've got everything from Alien to Chinatown to Dog Day Afternoon, terrific movies, all of which I reviewed for a local paper called the Quad City Times. And then I decided to do uh, trivia that goes with it. So there'll be a short recap of the film, my opinion of the film, and then there is trivia, and usually 10 questions, and the answers are upside down at the end. You, you can't see the answers. That wouldn't be any fun. Like, it'll ask you something like, oh, let me just throw you out uh, one. What was the Nostromo's cargo in the, the film Alien? I'm sure most of you have seen Alien by now, so what is the Nostromo's cargo? And uh, people enjoy it. Um, they enjoy answering this. Here's another one. Who was the first space crew person to awake from suspended animation? And and so on through uh, through the every film in the book. And there's a lot of them in here. I mean, it's uh, 10 years of my life spent doing this on the side while also teaching school. And uh, it's one, it is one of the better books. It's not self-published. It came out from a uh, Rhode Island small press. And uh, he did a great job of laying it out with the pictures and whatnot. So uh, plug for my book, go, go out to Amazon. And if you want to see any of the books I have written, you can go to my 
author website, which is ConnieCWilson.com. That's uh, separate and distinct from uh, Weekly Wilson. Weekly Wilson is a blog that, that keeps chugging along and reviewing films, as I have been doing lo these many moons and m- these many years. So let's go back to the original announced topic, which uh, what films am I going to talk about tonight that I saw at Sundance? Uh, here's a list. You know any of them? Hang, hang in there. There is a uh, film that I really wanted to see called Rita Marino, Just a Girl Who Decided to Go For It, a documentary. That was what I started off with. Bring Your Own Brigade, which was a documentary about all the wildfires in California. Terrific, terrific documentary. Playing with Sharks, just exactly what it sounds like. Uh, A horror film called Knocking. And that was all the first day. So I went through four things day one. Uh, Then I saw some shorts, which were not memorable, but I also saw Sabaya, which I saw on the 30th. Primetime, a feature-length film about a young man taking over a TV studio with a gun and holding people hostage. Coming Home in the Dark, one of my favorites, from New Zealand. And those were all on the 30th while I was busily writing what I had been uh, seeing. Uh, By then, I'm seven... uh, point I was seven films behind always interesting Uh, on the very last day of the month I saw at the ready another documentary it's about El Paso and the border interesting film uh, not really a movie but a documentary Uh, Misha and the Wolves really enjoyed that one and Land, the directorial debut of uh, Robin Wright. She used to say Robin Wright Penn, but after the divorce, I guess we've dropped Penn. Um, that one I did not give a very good review to. Um, I pronounced it boring, and it is streaming, so I, I apologies all around. It was beautifully photographed, however, by Bobby Bukowski, who uh, has done a lot of films, including Arlington Road. So I looked up a bunch of stuff on that. And going on, Um, On February 1st, I saw Life in a Day and looked to see if I was in it. And you might say, well, why would you be in it? Uh, Director Ridley Scott, who uh, started this project, has had everybody on one day send in film. The day was July 25th. That happened to be the day we were celebrating my birthday. So I made my husband (laughs) take some film of me in the backyard, which could not hold a candle to uh, the one sent in of people giving birth and other really extraordinary things. So uh, it was from all over the world and there was a slim chance that I would have a you know two second appearance in it along with uh, all the many other people that sent them in they told us how many it was just phenomenal number of films submitted and uh, the last one what I ended with was Judas and the Black Messiah which will be streaming I believe tomorrow so I will be talking uh, about that one quite a bit because you actually have a chance to to watch that one all you have to to do is find it. I think it might be HBO Max, but uh, and whether it has any sort of fee, I do not know. But uh, as you can tell, um, lots of movie going, and I'm gearing up for South by Southwest, which is going to be starting March 16th here in Austin, where I am uh, broadcasting from tonight. Uh, And I don't know where you are, but 43 of the states I saw had snow and pileups and all kinds of things. We've been having a lot of uh, not very nice weather today, and and people are running around and commenting on how cold it is. I think it was almost hit freezing, and then they went crazy in Texas, as you can imagine. Having 
come down from Illinois and having talked to my friends back home, we're dealing with 30 below zero. Uh, 30 above sounded pretty good, so I have no complaints there. So to start off with the order, uh, I, I, I will do Rita Marino first because that's the first one I saw. And then I'll, I'll skip forward to um, the film that I mentioned starts to stream tomorrow because some of you might really want to know about it. I know I did, and I wanted to know if it really happened the way the filmmakers said, did a lot of uh, investigating to find out. So the Rita Marino, just a girl who decided to go for it. First of all, you, some of you will be too young to remember who Rita Marino even is because she's pussing 90 and I am probably the only person that remembers her. Nevertheless, um, she's 87 and she's going to be in the remake of West Side Story. So I think that uh, giving a little bit of information to you about her storied career would be really appropriate. Uh, great, great actress. And uh, don't go away and I'll tell you what they told us in the film. Dr. R.C. will share extraordinary resources and services that promote educational success as well as making a difference in the lives of all social workers as well as the lives of children, adolescents, and teens of today. She will have open discussions addressing many of the issues that we face about our youth and how being employed in the uniquely skilled profession of social work for over 18 years has taught invaluable lessons through her personal experiences. She will also provide real-life facts, examples, and personal stories that will confirm that why serving as a child advocate is extremely beneficial when addressing the needs of the whole child. Listen live Saturdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on the BBM Global Network and tune in radio as Dr. R.C. will provide thought-provoking information that will empower, encourage, and strengthen students, families, and communities across our nation. You can also visit her at soarwithkatie.com. Have you ever felt like no one is listening or you're not getting the honest attention you deserve? Do you even know the kind of attention you want or need? You are not alone. Alice Aspen March is here to help. Thanks to Alice, through her epiphany and research over the word attention, there are solutions to the attention dilemma. Worldwide audiences have been enthralled and engaged for over 40 years with her visionary and pioneering observations. The kind of attention we get and give is vital to improving our lives and society. Alice and her weekly guests review game-changing insights for transforming and improving our understanding of attention, providing techniques for creating healthier and empowering behavior. Get a new perspective on a mainstream word. Tune into Why Our Attention Matters for fresh and thought-provoking conversations every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on BoldBraveMedia.com and the TuneIn Radio app. The opiate epidemic has reached crisis levels, and with so many families affected by addiction, opiate-related drug overdoses, and death, the time is now to have a real constructive conversation about addiction that could lead to better prevention, treatment, and recovery. Alan Charles, author and keynote speaker on drug abuse and prevention, presents The Alan Charles Show. Alan brings a message of hope, sharing his unbelievable story of surviving a 24-year addiction to cocaine and 
and highlights from his memoir, Walking Out the Other Side, an addict's journey from loneliness to life. His raw honesty and courageous heart breaks the stigma of addiction and offers a unique perspective into the mind of an addict. Join Alan each week as he brings his listeners to a true understanding of the grip of addiction. It is only with this understanding that we can begin to heal. The Alan Charles Show, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on the BBM Global Network. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the Veterans Folk Style Wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the B. BBM Global Network. This is Connie Wilson here tonight on Weekly Wilson, uh, the weekly discussion of politics, books, and movies tonight, movies. And as I promised before the break, we'll be talking about Rita Marino, Just a Girl Who Decided to Go For It, a documentary that recently played at uh, Sundance, which I saw. It was a 90-minute documentary uh, documenting her life and how she came to be in the business. And she was born in uh, a town I will not be able to pronounce properly in Puerto Rico, H-U-M-A-C-A-L, Humacao, 1936. So you do the math, she's something like 87. And they are uh, redoing West Side Story that catapulted her to fame in the 60s. Uh, Steven Spielberg is is helming it, and he has written a part for uh, for her to play. It is obviously not the dancing uh, gang member that she played in the original, Anita. Uh, she's playing uh, an elder uh, this time, because she is an elder. Looking good, though, and uh, seems very much on top of things. She's one of a uh, very few women to have what they refer to as the EGOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, and the first and only Latino that has won all four of these. She did win an Oscar for the original West Side Story, and then she won her Grammy for the Electric Company album, and her Tony for playing in a film called The Rips, where she played kind of an airhead known as Googie Gomez, and and continued to win two Emmys for her appearances on The Muppet Show, which I did not even realize she was on The Muppet but show I guess I was out of that age range but she was on there from 1971 to 1977 so they bring out some people that have known her uh, from of course her her many appearances but also uh, one of the people who was also I believe at one time on the Muppet show and that was uh, Morgan Freeman they had uh, not only Rita herself but Gloria Estefan Morgan Freeman Whoopi Goldberg Eva Longorio lots of people commenting on on her life and her accomplishments it was interesting to me uh, her mother divorced her father and set off with young Gloria to move to New York City 
And she had a younger brother there in Puerto Rico whom she never saw again, which seems a bit odd. She said they were on a ship called the SS Carabobo. And then she laughingly said, if you translate that in English, that literally means stupid face. And when she, when they got to, uh, you know, the New York Harbor and she saw the Statue of Liberty, she was just a, a small child. She thought the green lady was the president and, and that, she, that the green lady was holding out an ice cream cone, which, of course, those of us, the adults in the room will know it was the Statue of Liberty and it was not an ice cream cone in her right hand. Uh, they had Norman Lear and uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, comment because they teamed up to make this documentary or to finance it probably. They wanted uh, all of her many accomplishments to come through and they had all kinds of clips of her many roles because she was always cast in some uh, ethnic part which she railed against and then they went into her romance with Marlon Brando. Now I knew that she'd had this hot and heavy romance with Marlon Brando. In fact she tried to kill herself when he broke up with her and I I didn't know the circumstances of uh, how she tried to die. I thought she had tried to stab herself. That is wrong. Apparently she took a bunch of pills and it, it came about because she turned up pregnant and he just, you know, split. Uh, she also had a botched abortion and, and took this overdose of pills. And now she talks about Brando and says, I think about it now and say, what was there to love, uh, which was pretty harsh. But at the time, Brando was the bigger star. He was a huge star of the 50s and it was a man's world. And she was a much, much uh, smaller and less significant individual in, in show business. But that one did not go the distance. About seven years, I think, they were together. Uh, and then she married later a gentleman whose name was Leonard Gordon. And they were married for 45 years. When he, he they, were, they stayed married to the bitter end, which was in 2010, getting married in 1965. They have one daughter, Fernanda Gordon Fisher, and she is the mother of Rita's uh, grandsons, two of them. But one of the big uh, things that all the critics, not just me, commented on, she very candidly said that she stayed with him throughout life and was married until 2010, but that she really likes living alone and that she felt liberated after the death of her husband because apparently, and this came from others who testified, he became a bit of a control freak over the years and actually moved into becoming her manager, whereas he, he was a physician. You know, you'd think he'd keep doctoring, but uh, so she began performing at age six, and now at 87, she's going to be Valentina in the reboot of West Side Story, which is supposed to come out in December. And I looked up to find out, well, how much did the original film cost versus now, because it's 60 years ago. Original budget, West Side Story, $6 million. Uh, what did it make worldwide? $44,062,203. So it's $6 million film and it made $44 million and change. Uh, the 2021 Spielberg effort has a $100 million budget and there are 144 cast members. It's currently in post-production with uh, the hope that it will be releasing in December. And um, some of the wiser words that were uttered during the course of all this information, Morgan Freeman said, 
It's interesting how we keep dragging our past into the present. Damn the shadows and here's to the light. Life is what it is, but it is what you make it. And he went on to give her great credit for having uh, remade the trajectory of her own life. Uh, She even admits that Brando, the one good thing he apparently did was to convince her to go into therapy. And uh, she said that really helped her to straighten out issues in her life and accept all the things that had happened that weren't quite the way she wanted so a uh, good documentary I liked it and then uh, the second one I want to talk about at some length uh, if I don't get to some of the smaller ones too bad Judas and the Black Messiah you've probably seen the ads for this I think it starts streaming tomorrow uh, and it's going to be on HBO Max and by the way if you ever have not downloaded there is an app you can download called Just Watch you ought to look in your app store and it'll tell you when you hear about a good film or a good documentary it'll kind of tell you where to find it if it's online and nowadays what is it so Judas and the Black Messiah is a biopic and it centers on Fred Hampton in Illinois who was the head of the Black Panthers in the 60s and I listened to an hour-long interview with the people behind it, the director, Shaka King, and he paired up with Ryan Coogler, who is the guy behind the Black Panther, and they had met uh, at Sundance, in fact, in the year 2013, so they knew each other, and then there were a couple of brothers known as the Lucas Brothers. They kept talking about the Lucas Brothers because the Lucas Brothers and another screenwriter had been investigating this story about the death Death of Fred Hampton, uh, and they didn't have any trouble getting their cast together. It's a it's a dynamite uh, cast of black actors that you've seen in many things. the The star of Get Out, Daniel Kaluuya, plays uh, the lead role of Fred Hampton, and Keith Stanfield. Uh, by the way, both of these actors are likely Oscar candidates. He plays the informant, the FBI, as portrayed by. Um, someone they had a hard time getting, Jesse Plemons, because Jesse Plemons' agent wouldn't answer the phone. And they finally found a a cameraman who knew his phone number and called him up, told him about the project. And uh, it got made pretty quickly because the the Black Panther dude, Ryan Coogler, they approached Warner Brothers and said, we have 50% of the financing in hand, which is always, of course, you know, a big question is where do I get the money to make this film? Well, they pretty much could get the money immediately. And they had the cast, with the exception of Jesse Plemons, whom they couldn't reach for a long time. And uh, it's going to be a strong contender uh, in, in this day and age. But my question was, is all this stuff that's in the movie, is it accurate? Is it the way it really happened? So I said about playing detective and pulling up all the sources I could find and uh, trying to find out if the William O'Neill Judas figure, he's the one that infiltrates, really did, uh, you know, did this really happen? Because it's basically a state-sponsored murder and a hit executed by 14 Chicago police officers on December 4th of 1969. And the word coming down from the top from J. Edgar Hoover, as portrayed by a heavily made up Martin Sheen. Uh, he you could hardly tell it was him. He, he did look a little like J. Edgar Hoover, but uh, I had not ever heard of the, um, the a kind of a 
secret group inside of the FBI that was planning things of this sort. It was called Pro, coin like like a dime is a coin, Cointelpro. Google that and you'll see that it did exist. And Hoover had apparently really freaked out about the Black Panthers and he was bound and determined he was going to really, you know, stomp them out. He thought they were a terrible threat to, uh, to the United States. And uh, I'm not saying that Hoover was right or wrong, but it's certainly wrong to condone uh, sending 14 officers who shot 99 times. Uh, the Black Panther person, there was a guy on guard duty, he didn't shoot at all except into the ceiling, one bullet, because they shot him through the door. And I checked to see if that was correct, too, and it does seem that it was. Um, and there were probably 10 people in the room. It was not just Fred Hampton. It, he was 20. 21 years old, and he was there with his then nine-month pregnant girlfriend, well played by Dominique Fishback, and several other Black Panthers, because they were all concerned about the safety. But Fred Hampton was, uh, much like other demagogues, he had the ability to really uh, incite others to do his bidding, and he was apparently a, a great uh, diplomat, I guess you'd say. He formed the the Rainbow Coalition and got all kinds of disparate groups to come together to work together for the hope that they would have equal rights. And by, by groups, I mean all of the gangs in Chicago, but also Hispanic gangs, not just the African-American gangs. Also, um, he got some, uh, what you and I would call good old boys, the team that just hit the Capitol on January six a bunch of them it was really going well for him he had uh, a huge number of these people that were beginning to join together and that was apparently just all it took because um, it it was kind of a, a threat if you will and I remember when the Black Panthers were uh, a force to be reckoned with in fact I once was staying at a hotel in Chicago when they were having a, a a meeting of their uh, drill teams and they were marching around in the ballroom and we were all peeking through the door because they had they had really fly uniforms and we were quite uh, interested in what was going on with the Black Panthers but uh, this is going to uh, really tear off a, a, a band-aid on, of history on what happened back in the 60s when they put the Black Panthers down and uh, it's easy to understand why the producing partner said coming out of this, I don't think I'll ever look at biopic movies the same way again because they decided they were going to make it accurate and they had to uh, go find the son of Fred Hampton who is now 52 years old and works with uh, prisoners rights and they ha they wanted the all of the surviving family members to give their uh, approval to how they portrayed this incident. They didn't want it to be hokey or untrue. Uh, here's some quotes from the film. A badge is scarier than a gun. Political power flows from the barrel of a gun. You need tools, brother. Words are beautiful, but actions are supreme. And when we come back from break, I'll give you a few more quotes from that film, and we will move on to the next one. So don't go away. 
Tune into It's All About You with host Dr. Martha Latz, a lively weekly broadcast on BBM Global Network, one of the most empowering shows for time-starved, overscheduled multitaskers. The professional expertise of Dr. Latz is directly available live every Thursday at 1 p.m. to answer and address concerns about relationships, life transitions of career, meeting, dating, and committed relationships. It's All About You with Dr. Latz will expand your understanding of current concerns across your relationships by broadening and expanding possible solutions in developing skills for mutually desired outcomes. Dr. Martha's expertise is as a licensed marriage and family therapist, life, transition coach, and all things to do with communication at work, home, and with friends. Check out her website at auniquetherapycenter.com. Author, radio show host, and coach, John M. Hawkins, reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, Unlock Your Full Potential with Limitless Growth. Published by iUniverse, Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them, rediscover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. French Rastafarian baker Chef Ugmat is a fourth-generation baker and has worked in 11 countries across three continents. Born in Mulhouse, France, he began apprenticing in his father's bakery at age 12 and has devoted his life to learning cultures of the world from inside kitchens across the globe. He also teaches traditional French baking by hosting demonstrations and classes, and his passion for baking is reflected in his delicious confections. With a deep respect for discipline and his Rastafarian way of life, Chef Ouvmat exemplifies commitment to tradition and culture in a global world. Traveling extensively and combining a myriad of flavors into his recipes, Chef Ugmat brings a unique approach to baking. To read more about the French Rastafarian baker, visit www.frenchchefoug.com. That's H-U-G-U-E-S. Bon appétit and bless up. This is Connie Wilson here with Weekly Wilson talking movies tonight. And before the break, I was uh, recommending, highly recommending Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, a highly anticipated film, uh, which which really lives up to its hype. I will say one thing. If you're watching it at home, as most of you probably will be, I'd turn on the captioning. Uh, Why? Because the lead character, Daniel Kaluuya's character, Fred Fred Hampton Jr., you you cannot understand him half of the time and I went to YouTube videos to determine whether this was a fault of the actor or whether he was simply emulating the original man he was he had the cadence down and he 
did sound and speak with the same degree of quickness and failure to articulate. Now, the the gentleman who plays the infiltrator, you could understand him at all times. He was fine. Lakeith Stanfield, no problem. But there was a problem understanding Daniel Kaluuya at times, which was not of his making. That's just the way the guy sounded way back when. Um, here are a couple other quotes I, I jotted down. Uh, Every ghetto across the nation should be considered occupied territory. Uh, Here's another one. The most dangerous weapon is the people. I thought after today's watching of the second impeachment trial, certainly true. Our job as the Black Panther Party is to heighten our tradition so the people can decide if they want to overthrow the government or not. Again, timely. Uh, Here was what one of the Black Panther uh, wives said. We want land, bread, housing, education, democracy, and peace. Here's another quote. You can't shoot your way to equality. I thought that was a good one. Uh, It could perhaps go in there as you can't shoot your way to an election victory, although we're hearing of some, uh, some people that are trying it in other parts of the world. So from there, I'm going to go to um, the second most favorite film of the ones I read off earlier that I liked, which was Coming Home in the Dark from New Zealand. Uh, director is James Ashcroft. I, it's a fast-paced, high-energy road trip. Uh, it's about a family, and they're driving along in the New Zealand uh, rural areas. Beautiful. I've been to New Zealand, and it looks exactly Exactly like it does in this film is just gorgeous country, you know, beautiful all the way. And uh, the mom, the dad, and their sons, who are twins, it's 93 minutes long. They warn at the beginning that there is graphic violence, and there was definitely graphic violence. However, having said that, it was not of the saw variety where you're just you know drenched in blood and watching people you know suffer. It was uh, more psychological than than anything. Uh, what happened? is they stop for a little hiking and a picnic and two drifters set upon them. Uh, The family of four, Alan, Jill, and their twin teenage boys, Jordan and Mika, are off on holiday when they stop alongside a gorgeous but remote New Zealand hillside, which they said was in the greater Wellington region, if if you know New Zealand that well. Ominously, two drifters appear on a cliff overhead and they wave at the family below. And not long after that, the drifters come down to where they're having their picnic lunch and it goes south from there they end up loading the family into the car it's a road trip to hell uh the cinematography a fellow named matt henley was gorgeous there were it opens with a sunset and uh and uh closes with a sunrise and it's gorgeous uh but in between the action is just harrowing because we find out that the the two drifters actually have a bone to pick with uh, the father of this family and uh, it it goes nowhere good after that it's just it's just a terrible uh, a terrible day in their lives and a terrible series of events that that sets is set upon all four of them but a great film if you want one that you really will keep you up at night it's called coming home in the dark it's from New Zealand uh, so on back to a documentary that I thought was quite well done and when I 
put this up on the movie blog. And by the way, all these reviews are up on my blog, Weekly Wilson, just like this program, weeklywilson.com. As far as the uh, the book that came from the 70s that I mentioned earlier, that's up on Amazon. So if you want to order it in either ebook or paperback, uh, go for it. I was so thrilled to hear that uh, one of the publicists actually read the thing and I could tell that he had. Uh, Bring Your Own Brigade was uh, about the wildfires in California and apparently the camera people were already embedded in this uh, you know they they hadn't planned on the whole state nearly burning down but this is the campfire of November 8th 2018 and they they start out talking to a fellow named Brad Weldon who said he he refused to leave for several reasons one of which was that his 90 year old mother couldn't walk and he fought the fire for seven or eight hours to save his house he said it was like quote fighting an elephant with a piece of spaghetti which I thought was a particularly vivid image so it's a 127 minute documentary and I would say it would have been far better if the London born director whose name is Lucy Walker would have paired it down to 90 because the the fire footage is just absolutely um, outstanding and the you can imagine what sunsets look like when the whole hill's on fire on top of it uh, you have all of the people that lived in Paradise, California talking about what happened when they were told to evacuate at once uh, some of them weren't told to evacuate, some of them were some of them were told stay in your house, it was very confusing, it reminded me of uh, what we've heard about 9-11, then they all tried to leave at once on narrow roads one guy said his side mirror uh, started to melt and if it hadn't been for a, a firefighter who had the uh, really brilliant idea of getting into a bulldozer and pushing the flaming cars off the road, uh, uh, there would have been many more deaths than they had. But as it was, 86 people died in the campfire in a, in, in Paradise, California, aptly or ironically named November 8, 2018. Brad, in the story, has thrown open the doors of his home, which he did save, and he's like, 20 of his homeless neighbors move in with him while they try to rebuild. And I should add, um, their uh, particular piece of California, about 26,000 residents, 85 miles uh, north of Sacramento. I used to work in a in that area when I was writing for uh, a firm that uh, was a teacher training firm called Performance Learning Systems, and the boss moved out there to that area, and it's just nonstop trees, so it's easy to see how once these trees get, you know, catch on fire, getting out of it is almost impossible. Uh, one of the things that they mentioned is that Paradise is one of the few California towns with no sewer system. So they made the comment, this is a town that can't even get its shit together, which I thought uh, it, it did not, it had, it had a plan for evacuation, but no one anticipated that everyone would try to leave at once. So uh, you've got scenes of panicked people describing absolute horror uh, and they're many of them died in their cars they couldn't get anywhere there were cars on fire ahead of them uh, only five percent of the local buildings escaped fire damage so all of the parts that that as you can imagine that filmed this were absolutely riveting uh, it's worth mentioning that paradise which was all but totally destroyed uh, the average home in in paradise california was valued at about two hundred thousand, and they had 86 deaths there uh malibu 
not too far away, had not anywhere near the number of casualties because their homes clock in at 3.5 million. And so there were 28 times as many casualties in paradise where they have an average uh, price value on their home of 200 grand. The $3.5 million homes, no, they were going to be saved at all costs. And that brings up the title of the film, which is Bring Your Own Brigade. Apparently, if you're wealthy enough like uh, the Kardashians, you hire your own fire brigade because there were not enough people to fight the fire. And um, only 55% of the homes that were built after 2008 survived. Now, the first one-third to one-half of the film, terrific. Just, you know, I can't recommend it highly enough. It was absolutely riveting. Then they go to the city council in the aftermath, and they talk about what caused this. They talk about what should be done in the future. And it's just... um, it's a little bit like watching Congress uh, try to decide whether they are or are not going to impeach a president that has uh, moved on down the road. Uh, you've got people that are dead set against it, uh, and global warming is a hoax and all of that. And here they just lost their homes, and they're still arguing against doing anything. Uh, and then the... the uh, director has dug deep into the archives and found clips of people as long ago as Zsa Zsa Gabor in a brief cameo discussing the first of many fires. They've been going on since the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, so it's not just global warming. Uh, 22 people died in Santa Rosa in 2017, and 22 died in something known as the Thomas Fire. So then they start talking about uh, Native peoples, the North Fork Mono tribe or the Karuk people and uh, tapping into their ancient wisdom for starting fires every so often. Uh, good good documentary if you see it. Bring your own brigade. It's worth watching, but uh, you might want to tune out after the first half. Uh, it got a little slow after that. Uh, don't you go away. Come back after our break. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the veteran spoke-style wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BBM Global Network. America is out of control. Today's capitalism and the approach to money is in fact a symptom of a more widespread pattern of excessive behavior. In his book, The Culture of Excess, How America Lost Self-Control and Why We Need to Redefine Success, clinical psychologist Dr. Jay Slosar portrays an America where excess fuels the drive to succeed. Dr. Slosar examines the cultural factors that lead to excess ranging from obesity to fraud to pervasive budget deficits. His book examines the powerful economic and social factors and their impact on our psychological well-being. 
Dr. Slosar explores the psychological impact of increasing narcissism, perfectionism, self-destruction, and our identity confusion. He offers recommendations for helping Generation Me become Generation We. Those who resist Slosar's message will want to avoid his discussion of regulation and his recent message that at this point, democracy must be more important than today's capitalism. Get his book now online or by visiting thecultureofexcess.com. Escape from Hell, A Woman's Story is a passionate book that tells the true story of author Rhonda Knudsen's journey through the darkness and adversity of abuse. The book takes readers on an emotional trail from the depths of despair to the heights of forgiveness and understanding. She was inspired to help others, and her book is a vital tool through this process. Faithful to God and devotional to her beacon of hope, Rhonda Knudsen is a perfect example of finding a guiding light that helped her come through the dark and into the light. Her book can assist you in overcoming your challenges with abuse. The publication of Escape from Hell, A Woman's Story is a triumphant achievement and it can help you take ownership of your own experience of abuse and come through stronger than before. Rhonda is currently working on two more books, Shadows of Corruption and Coast to Coast on a Piece of Toast. To read more about this inspiring author and purchase her books, visit RhondaKnutson.com or go to www.amazon.com. Are you struggling to care for elderly parents or a spouse? Do you wonder if being a caregiver is making you sick? Are you worried about taking time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving? Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent, but you're not sure how? I'm Pamela D. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults, Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and 9 Eastern. Stern, where I answer these questions and share tips for managing stress, family relationships, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of The Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, hope, and support for caregivers is here on The Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. This is Connie Wilson with Weekly Wilson talking movies tonight again. And um, before the break, I, I shared with you uh, a documentary that was called uh, Bring Your Own Brigade. Uh, I, I made the comment in my review that uh, our philosophies seem to be these days more and more what with the global warming and the pandemic. It's a uh, why, oh, why, yo, yo, you're on your own. Uh, that's sort of what the people in the town began to feel like. And uh, there was an architect that gave them some timely uh, hints or tips on how they shouldn't build their homes back the same way they had been out of wood frame and he was fine his was untouched and it was not built of wood and he was uh, kind of lording it over the others another documentary that was really good was called Misha and the Wolves and um, this was also by a London born writer director named Sam Hopkinson and Misha and the Wolves uh, this is a world premiere last day of January when I saw it and it's he said it's hard to define it, this this is his exact words as he spoke to us at the outset of the film this was a story about memory and imagination about themes of storytelling it is a holocaust film it is a moral maze it is hard to define a psychological thriller with shifting truth in story ultimately it's a story about truth and a story about stories now, 
Now, if that sounds complicated, uh, let me uh, fill in the blanks here. Misha DeFonseca, uh, she lived in Millis, Massachusetts, and was an elderly lady, and she was at her local uh, temple, Beth Torah, and was uh, sharing a, a harrowing tale of how, as a seven-year-old Jewish girl, she walked across all across Belgium during the Nazi occupation to find her parents who had disappeared. She said she went to school one day and her dad was supposed to pick her up and he never showed up and that was the end of that. Uh, she had then been taken in by a family and they had changed her name, she said, to Monique DeWall. And, uh, but she never, she claimed not to know her original surname. She was too young, she said. But having been told that, that her parents were taken to Germany, she determined, bright little whippersnapper, that she would walk there and find them. And someone asked her on, this, on the documentary, well, how did you know what to take? And she said, well, I knew I would need food, water, a knife, and a compass. And I remember what through my mind was she's seven years old and she's and she knows that those are the four essential things that she needs to take with her. I thought, well, she must be a very smart seven year old. She told an incredible story of avoiding humans and being surrounded by wolves who allowed her to feed from remnants of their kills and became her nourishers and her protectors. Now, this began to sound odder and odder, but she was mesmerizing and, and telling it. And Eureka, there was a woman in the audience, Jane Daniel, who had a small publishing company there in, in the small Massachusetts town and said, oh, I'd like you to write this down and we'll, we'll put out a book together. So that happened. And uh, at, after it was written, it, it started to gain, you know, uh, notoriety as being a good book and a fascinating book, a story of the seven-year-old girl and the wolves that befriended her. And the uh, the woman who owned the publishing company got her onto Oprah's Book Club. Now, if you know anything about the days of Oprah's Book Club, and I write books, so I do, getting on there is a guarantee you'll sell millions of books. And, and in fact, Disney was uh, interested and all kinds of people were knocking she she refused to go on Oprah's book club and wouldn't say why. And soon thereafter, she lodges a lawsuit against the publisher. And this was in August of 2001 in Middlesex, Massachusetts. Uh, she appeared on her own behalf during the 10-day trial. And as Jane said, quote, she was a very good witness. And they awarded her all the rights to her book and took them away from the publisher and also uh put a 22.5 million judgment levied against the publisher that they was portrayed as having stolen her book. And, and Jane Daniel said she was devastated. She said, I wanted my life back. And uh, she started to investigate to see whether this was really a true story or not. And she got a researcher uh, over in Germany and they began digging into the story. Uh, she had a photo lady going, whose name was Sharon Sargent going over all these pictures that Miss Misha had shown. After extensive and thorough research and investigation, it was discovered that Misha was not a young Jewish girl at all. She was a young Catholic Belgian girl and her Aunt Emma said she was always delusional. And what had happened 
was that her real last name was DeWall and her father was a resistance fighter. Uh, and then he, he turned tail and he be collaborated with the Nazis because if he hadn't, I'm sure he, I'm sure he was tortured because of where they took him. They, he and his wife were arrested not long after the Nazis occupied Belgium, which was May 10th of 1940. And, uh, they were, he, his wife and 41 other resistance fighters were shipped to what was known as Brauweder prison in Cologne. And it's apparently a place where they love to do a lot of torture to the people to get uh, information out of them. So it, when it finally comes out, it turns out that she was their daughter and she had made up all the stuff about the wolves and she she defended herself saying, quote, and all I could think of was Donald J. Trump, my reality, my way of surviving, my attempt to exercise the sadness at being called the traitor's daughter was to get into a bubble world of my own. Others in the film said, Misha created a world for herself, a world of her own belief. She sought a refuge in mythomania. She slowly became a character in her own story. And then people that had been sucked in said, we would like to believe that we were not so gullible, not so naive, but it was all a fabrication. Another one added, nobody wants to admit that they were duped. And uh, I thought, wow, this is a timely story, just like the Black Panther um, story comes out during Black Lives Matter. Here we have uh, the impeachment stuff going on rather timely when you have someone that just will not admit that they have made it all up at all. Um, another one I like called Playing with Sharks came to us from 16 millimeter film from Australia. The filmmaker was Sally Aitken. It actually was a woman and her husband, Valerie Mae Taylor and her husband, Ron, and they were actually the people that helped Peter Benchley uh, write Jaws and knew all about sharks. And she's they had the woman herself who's now in her 80s. Terrific film. If you like underwater photography, it was it was great. And I especially enjoyed the story about how they were advisors on Steven Spielberg's film. And Spielberg wanted the shark to be 25 feet long, but they told him that the great white doesn't really get to be 25. It's usually 13 feet long. Spielberg says, that's okay. We'll just make we'll get a small guy and put him in a cage and make it look like the shark is bigger and they did they hired a, a, a midget dwarf I'm not sure whether he technically but it was very short and very small and he saw this shark they were going to when he saw the real white sharks he said I should have asked for more money so it was really uh, good they, they had called her give it a go Valerie because she seemed to be fearless and uh, the, the title of that one again was playing with sharks so I've been able to share with you tonight, uh, not all, but most of the ones that I really enjoyed. Sabaya, I did not enjoy as much because it was about rescuing uh, girls sold, sold into sexual slavery in uh, in Syria. And they, they shot it with a cell phone or something. It was pretty uh Harrowing, but not you know anywhere near the production values of these others. Didn't like land. I would uh, personally not spend any money if you are thinking about renting a film because that one was not good. But next uh, week, come back. Uh, maybe you will have seen Alice Fades Away. I will be talking with that director. Uh, don't forget to go out to weeklywilson.com to see any of these reviews. And the following week, I will speak with the Chicago entrepreneur who who decided to make one days to live. So uh, thank you for listening tonight, and I hope you join me next week.
This has been Weekly Wilson with your host, Connie C. Wilson. Join her each week with a lively discussion of political matters, movies, books, and other topics that capture the heart and mind. Right here on Weekly Wilson. been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.